Everybody's a dreamer. Everybody's a star. Everybody's in showbiz. It doesn't matter who you are. There are stars in every city, in every house, and on every street. And if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, their names are written in concrete. It's that time of year again. While we will not be strolling the streets of Hollywood Boulevard or Annapolis, we can get our pod together and enjoy 10 days of the 9th Annual Annapolis Film Festival. It is virtual this year, and we will be talking to the movers and shakers and those that make it all happen. The Annapolis Film Festival, April 8th through 18th. Tickets and more at annapolisfilmfestival.org. All the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard. You know, kids will be kids, and that seems to be sort of an arcane phrase lately. But the ladies that are joining me on the phone, who are the directors and a producer of the documentary Chasing Childhood, may want to change that a little bit. Joining me this morning is Margaret Munzer Loeb and Eden Wormfeld, who are the directors of Chasing Childhood. How are you guys today? We are great. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we're here at the Annapolis Film Festival. I'm in Annapolis, and it is virtual, as everybody knows, this year. You guys, I know one of you is in Park City, Utah, which is not bad. And where is the other one at? Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm actually in New York City. Not a bad deal either there. And and it's been pretty great here, I actually have to say. Well, Chasing Childhood is a film that is it's a documentary film that i am so excited to see because i am totally 100 percent on board with the premise of this and what this does is this explores the world that we've developed of over parenting helicopter parenting and pretty much not letting kids be kids and you've decided to dive deep into this and explore this right yeah yes we have I mean, I think we could say that, you know, a few things, you know, we're, we're recovering helicopter parents and um, or helicopter parents in recovery. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're raising kids in this culture and like everyone trying to do our best and it's really hard. And I think the origins of the movie were that Margaret and I realized that we were raising our kids so differently than we were raised. And some of that is cultural and the way that things have changed over time. And then obviously, you know, just it, it, it started out just kind of conversations on a couch between two friends. Like, what? I think, you know, I was taking the public bus at this age. I mean, Margaret always tells that story about herself, but like I was letting myself in. I had a picture of myself in the first grade classroom with a key around my neck. So I know I was letting myself in after school, climbing up on the counter, getting myself cookies. Like my older brother was around, maybe some of his friends, some neighborhood friends. And then like mom and dad would show up when, you know, after work. And that's kind of how it went. And that was in Manhattan in the seventies. You know, we were raising our kids in the same city as we grew up in and realized that things had changed so drastically. And So that kind of launched a more serious investigation 
that led ultimately to the making of the movie. How long have you been friends for? Well, we actually went to the same high school uh, a couple years apart, but we're roommates in um, that, you know, through a mutual friend connected in Los Angeles and became roommates in L.A. in the mid-90s. So for a long time, actually. I don't know how that happened. I guess here's a real quick question. Since you are a reformed helicopter parent and having gone through a different type of a childhood yourselves, do you figure anyone is better than the other? Um, because, you know, we always hear from people that like, there are things that we understand now that were risks in childhood that made people might've been silent about that. It's great that we have a greater understanding of now and I appreciate them. So just on, on all kinds of topics that I might not want to take your podcast up with, but, um, and that parents are aware of, like, maybe they should be a little bit more aware of where their children are, who risky people are. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of things from our childhood made for more resilient kids. And that the evidence shows that. And those are things like the ability to navigate the world at a younger age, primarily by yourself, and to be able to make mistakes and, frankly, uh, rebound from them without the intervention of a parent. Um, so those are kind of general, like they're a zillion specifics, but it's how I would frame it. I was going to say I agree with that 100 percent. I mean, I'm a big fan of letting my kids free fall when they make a mistake. I mean, I'm certainly going to be there to support them. I'm going to be there to break their fall before they hit the concrete. Um, but there's an awful lot to be said for you know making those mistakes, learning from them and, and quite frankly, getting scared from some of them. Right. I mean, I give this example and I'll let Eden speak, but just quickly, a very small thing that uh, I witnessed in my own home was I guess I learned to cook fairly early. So somehow this didn't come up for me as much in the cultural zeitgeist about when you could cook. And my children were cooking in a, you know, they were, they could reach the stove, but six, seven. And people were like, how do you let your children do that? And I'm like, well, you know, this is an instance where I'm home. They're not going to burn the house down. Like if their finger gets, burned, that will be a lesson. Like there, there is, you, you need some of those very small, uh, way, uh, small harms in some ways, or even just feel heat to know, to respond differently sometimes. And so I think that when you wait a really long time, the consequences get so big and you just don't have the muscle, uh, of the tiny things along the way to, um, help you know how to how to respond uh, physically, emotionally. So that, that was a, you know, just that happened organically in my house, but I think is an example of what we have witnessed. This is actually going to be streamed at the Annapolis Film Festival beginning April 12th at 9 a.m., which is Monday morning, and it will be available through Sunday, April 18th at 11.45 p.m. And for those that aren't aware, you can watch it anytime during that period. It is sort of on an on-demand type of a thing, but you can pause it, but you can't stop it and restart it. Uh, that's the way their technology is working. you got to watch it at one sitting, and whether there's a big pause in between there or not, it's fine. Uh, you can get your tickets and passes. I do recommend passes at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. And on the phone with us 
are the directors of Chasing Childhood, Margaret Munzer Loeb and Eden Wormfeld. But what was the genesis behind Chasing Childhood? I mean, where did this all of a sudden say, you know, you're in a coffee shop and say, you know, we need to make a movie about this? I would just say, and Eden can pick up. I mean, we, Eden was right. We we started talking about this as friends with school-aged children. How were we raising our children differently? Were we, you know, one of those real mom conversations. Am I crazy? What do you think? Was this different? Can my kid do this? Why do I feel like I need to be at school every day? I mean, I, I don't even know. Maybe I was supposed to be running to go pick up a child. Um, why do I feel like I need to do that? I live in the same neighborhood. I live a block away from my kid's school at the time. Why aren't they just walking home? So it really kind of came from that and then a, a real understanding that we had grown up in a, a fairly uh, pedestrian city that should be allowing for kids' autonomy in the outside world at a fairly young age. Um and when we started investigating this, we were interested in our own city and how it had become actually less safe when we were growing up and more safe now. But we quickly found out as we started speaking to experts on this topic, like Lenore Skenazy, who's in the film, that this phenomenon was actually relevant to the country and other places uh, and not just our small world. And so we wanted to sort of stay local, but ended up trying to get into uh, schools and other communities that were grappling with, with the same issues that we were. I a film because, you know, Eden is a longtime filmmaker and um, I have wanted to make a documentary for a long time and came out of a, a social work background and found it uh, to be a fascinating way to put together something somewhat sociological. Part of this addresses the different socioeconomic backgrounds of different communities that do it. I mean, what differences did you find as you were investigating this? Yeah, what I'll, what I'll, I'll jump in at Eden. Um, you know, what I found fascinating in the course of our endeavor was that other, well, I would just start out by saying the movie doesn't address kids who are living in poverty. Like, that's not the realm of the movie. But we found the phenomena that are discussed in the film in communities from working class to very, very wealthy. And I would say that the issues are kind of on steroids in the more wealthy communities because there are more resources to throw at them. But that being said, the working class and lower middle class and middle class communities where we were are striving to compete with those wealthier communities and it's practically killing them. I mean, financially, in terms of the expectations of parents, when kids are very scheduled, they often have to get places, and that's on the family. And if you don't have the resources to have to outsource that and you work, I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult. So we, you know, we the film is lives in three communities that are quite different from each other. And Wilton, Connecticut, probably being the the wealthiest of those communities um, and the place where, you know, the family that you kind of go deepest with resides. And then, you know, there was a public school in, Man in upper Manhattan. And then there was this working class community out on Long Island. And um, so we saw these issues everywhere. But what I was going to say that I found so fascinating in the course of our research and filmmaking was that everywhere we went people thought this must only be happening where I am. 
like people in the city were like, if only we lived in the suburbs. And people in the suburbs were like, oh, it's probably better in the city. Or if we lived in the country, you know, in a more rural place, maybe it wouldn't be like this. And I just found that really interesting that generally speaking, there wasn't wasn't perspective when we started asking people these questions, that this might be something that is a more national phenomenon or even, I don't know that it's global, but it's certainly happening in other countries as well. So I thought that was really interesting. And I just wanted to hearken back because you said, I, I, I might have used this word, but I, if I did, I, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a reformed helicopter parent just in recovery because it's a daily challenge. Like I want to, you know, I, I think it's cultural part of it, maybe just, you know, wanting to be a good mom and wanting my kids to be safe, but I'm often finding myself having to pull back or just be like, no, just let them go. Let, let them do it, you know? And so I, I think it's hard and I just wanted to comment on that because I wouldn't want to, I'm not saying that I, I did it one way and that was bad and now I'm changed. I mean, I, I, I work at it a lot and there's a, you know, it's complicated. Again, I'll harken back to my daughter who was in college and there was a Facebook page just for the parents of the students there. And time after time after time, I would see like, oh, my daughter says the the food stinks in the dining hall. Who can I call to complain about this? Or the UPS said it was delivered to the dorm. Who can I call, you know, to find out where this package was? And my answer, stock answer for four years was your daughter or your son. You know, they're the ones that are there at university. They're the ones that are able to figure it out. But I think it is fascinating that this is something that has really gone across different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's not just the big city kids or it's the country kids or the, the suburban kids as well. You know, we all want to have the best for our children. I mean, I, we, I want to give you know, I want my kids to have more money and have a nicer house and a better life and a more safe world. And, you know, we want everything for our children. And that's no different from our parents. But it's just strange how it's sort of taken the way that the parents almost have to live a parallel life with their children anymore. How old are your kids right now, just out of curiosity? Uh, 13 and 15 year old. Uh, you've got a long way to and go. And I have a, yeah, I have a 10 and an almost 14 year old. How do they react to you guys making the film? My, my kids constantly tell me that I'm not listening to the message in my own film. That is a, a common theme. You don't let me go do this, this, and this, and don't you even listen? And then they'll say, you know, the, there are people in the film, they'll, they'll refer to them and, uh, you know, and their story and why aren't I learning lessons from that. So they, but I will just say, like, they they found the film really interesting and it was, it was a, I don't think I anticipated that parents could watch this film with their children and ha use that as a way to kind of um, launch a conversation of varying age ages. So my youngest was seven, eight, nine, as she was starting to say these things. And then I know people who've sat down with their kids who kind of already had one kind of childhood. They were, seniors in high school. So I just say that's been really surprising and has made me happy that people have found it to be a useful way to have conversations with their kids. What was some of the crazy, I mean, you've had to have heard some crazy stories as you're putting, you know, years and years and years of this, narrowing it down to 80 minutes. 
Uh, what are some of the craziest, you know, overparenting things you've seen? Um, I would jump in with, I mean, this is, I think the one of the craziest stories that we heard was from the human resources person at one of the largest companies in the United States, the biggest employer in the United States, who told us several stories. One person interviewing for a job and um, toward the end of the interview looks at his phone and says, I just want to see if these were all the questions that my mother had. And then another was when someone was getting their review, which wasn't very positive, they looked with terror at, at the human resources person and said, have you called my, did you call my parents? And I mean, the level of involvement with kids, and I call, I'm saying kids, but these are adults who should be functioning on their own and should be navigating their lives is, is kind of staggering. And I think that it's, I mean, the reason why I bring up this example is because I think Margaret and my interest and what we hope this film really shows is precisely what you were saying before. Like, we all want the best for our kids. And if we're keeping them from becoming resilient adults who can function on their own and navigate the world in a healthy and successful way, we're actually not doing the best for our kids. We're, we're limiting them. And as Julie Lifkatim says in the film, one day we'll be gone and we won't be here to do all this for them. And, you know, isn't it, the, isn't it every mammal's wired need to raise their young to independence? And why have we broken that cycle? Can I call my mom? <laughs> As, as as an adult, you know, you know, as you know, sort of a somewhat of a parallel. But you look at uh, some of these children that are born uh, with different abilities. It might be Downs, it may be ADHD, and and whatnot. But the parents have, you know, they've grown up knowing, hey, the parents are not going to be here forever. And you look at the success rate of being able to take somebody that has something like that and be able to function on their own and everything else. And I mean, it seems like we're doing such a disservice to do that. I know I, somebody called me the other day just asking my opinion on an organization she was interviewing for. And she says, when is the best time she's being an executive or an executive assistant to an historic organization that actually has headquarters in a very historic building and says, when's the best time to ask when I can bring my dog into work? And I'm like, yeah, there's no good time for that. Uh, you know, it, it's just not. And, and it's like, well, but this is, you know, I always I've always had my dog with me. I'm like, well, this is the real world. And she was, you know, 24 or something like that, fairly young in the realm of a career. And I was, wow, this is was expected that I need to be able to bring my dog into an historic building for a professional job. Um, you know, some do, but most don't. I mean, I, I would love to just go back to that question, lumped a couple things in. In the world of like things that have gotten better, I have, you know, uh, special needs relatives. I think it's a, a great thing that we now have inclusive education for kids with a range of disabilities, uh, intellectual disabilities, and even real learning disabilities. And we understand them and we understand even for real learning disabilities that are not, um, that kids, 
you know, no longer have to feel, you know, isolated. They can be involved in a community. They they can be in regular schools. They can have an IEP. I think these, you know, the Individuals with Disability, Disability Education Act is a wonderful thing, and those parents advocating for those kids, I really respect them. I will say, however, not all kids need every aspect of their lives scaffolded. So there's been, like, just because that was amazing doesn't mean a kid needs every aspect of their lives scaffolded. And I think it's interesting how much things like life skills is now a course instead of learning life skills organically uh, or through actually living life. Um, and I, you know, I've noticed that a lot. Like, you know, there are certain elements that it's great that schools partner with and they incorporate, but I, I feel like it's the parents who really struggle to understand that those are things their kids should just be doing in real time instead of needing to take a course later in life. Um, I also wanted to add one thing about kind of helicopter parenting being about kids and how they function, Eden's comment and your comment about the workplace. Another thing, like Eden always says this really well, um, we really grew up kind of watching our parents do their recreational activities. Certainly we did went off and did hours, but we would spend our weekends as young children. I would kind of go with my mother when she would swim. I, I remember going and they, they would play tennis or squash and how it's been the exact opposite for the generation to follow that it was parents' lives revolved around watching their kids and frankly, not necessarily taking care of themselves. So if you're spending all day dividing your family, going off and watching sporting events. And again, people might get a lot of joy out of that. I just also would say there's a wellness component for parents who don't get to have time alone, potentially in a marriage with each other, when they don't get to center their own needs um, because they're always focused on, on their children's lives. I would add on to that. My life is a constant struggle to, in trying to find that balance because my children have played a lot of travel sports and it's really challenging. And I always comment, like, I'm tired of watching my kids get exercise all weekend. I think that the pendulum has swung too far. Like, yes, I spent my entire childhood, nothing was scheduled around me, nothing. Like there was, there was no activities that were geared to whatever age I was. And I lay on the floor of places staring at the ceiling, bored out of my mind going on errands. You know, I mean, that was... That was it. And then when I was old enough, I you know went off with my friends. But you know, I don't, I think there could be something in between. And I I mean, we have family meetings where I often you know I'm just like okay, like I can't come to everything. I can't do everything. I can't be at every game. So like, what's really important to you? Because we all need to recognize that each of us in this family unit has needs, and we need to support each other in meeting them. And I love you, and I love watching you play, and I love that you love it. But I, I can't be at every practice and every game. And when we were growing up, it's like maybe your parents came to a championship game at the end of the season, maybe. But every game plus every practice, I mean, it just is unheard of, right? It never happened. I, you know, when I was when I was young, I would get home from school, throw my books on my bed, get on my bike, and be home for dinner. 
And as opposed to, okay, get in the car, get your cleats. Do you have this? Do you have that? Let's, we got to get to this field and that field. And, uh, you know, I, there was a car commercial. I think it was Subaru or something like that, where somebody was going back and forth between swim meets and soccer games between the kids. And it was, you know, all in this Subaru. And it really is seeming to be the life that a lot of parents are leading for their families right now. You know, so I, I guess what, I, what we would love to see is just to see the pendulum swing a little bit back toward the middle. So it's not the extreme of what it was before where there was nothing for kids and nothing that was kid-centric, but, but not to have it be in this really extreme place where it's all about the kids and there's very little for parents. And that there's some judgment if you don't show up to every game and every practice and, you know, you don't do all the things that are on the calendar. Um, and that's stressful. And frankly, I don't know how working people do it. I mean, I I just don't go to most stuff, but there are people I kind of rely on the, you know, non-working moms who kind of fill me in and tell me this was scheduled, this was canceled, this is happening, you need to show up here, you need to order this pair of cleats, you need to, you know, because I can't do it. <laughs> I, I can't do it. And so that's hard. Well, we are on the phone with two helicopter parents in recovery who happen to be directors and producers of the movie Chasing Childhood, Margaret Munzer-Loeb and Eden Wormfeld. Chasing Childhood is available at the Annapolis Film Festival. It is streaming beginning April 12th at 9 a.m., which is Monday morning, and it will go through Sunday evening at 11.45 p.m. You can watch it at your leisure. I do recommend everybody does that. Take a look and see what we may be doing, um, you know, to our children are are we over scheduling them are we really giving them the best chance at being the best adults that they can when the time comes for that what is you guys are film directors and film producers what are your um what are your next plans well i i chasing childhood came out you know world premiered in november i i also finished another film in the pandemic called the big scary s word which is about democratic socialism in the united states and that will be available more broadly starting Labor Day weekend, which is um, apropos. And um, I'm currently working on a fiction project, which is why I'm in Park City, Utah. I'm filming here through the middle of May. So are you, are you primarily a documentary type of a person, Eden? Um, you know, I think I'm primarily just a story-driven person. So I want to help tell great stories, and, and I respond to material I have been working mostly in the nonfiction space since my kids were born. And this is the first fiction film I've done because I feel finally like I can leave for a few months and they're going to be fine. So apropos of this conversation today about chasing childhood, I, I feel, you know, ready to do that. And I think they're ready to have me gone and be able to handle it. So fantastic. What, what's um, on, your, what's on your plate, Margaret? Um, I am mostly right now, other than the fact that my three children are still hybrid, so I'm still a mom juggling that in COVID. God, what a uh, nightmare. Interested in shepherding, chasing childhood, and the themes of it uh, out into the larger world. And we are, if you go to chasingchildhooddoc.com, um, we are looking to have screenings. Uh, we'll, you know, very willing to bring a screening with some with a discussion guide to talk about these themes in any school or community or church or temple. Um, and that's my primary focus right now. I'm shepherding a bunch of other projects uh, and excited about them. I may feel a little more space when the world um, returns to 
I don't know if normalcy, but some normalcy. And I will just say, I hope that uh, we also start talking about, you know, this time and how kids have been less overscheduled. And we have all, as parents, been maybe involved in having them home, but have had to run around a little less for them and what we may want to hold on to even as we return to more normal life. There may be some shining moments coming out of this pandemic. So that's encouraging. Again, Chasing Childhood, you want to go to the website, ChasingChildhoodDoc.com. You can see it at the Annapolis Film Festival starting Monday, April 12th at 9 a.m. through Sunday, April 18th at 11.45 p.m. And I do want to thank Margaret Munzer-Loeb and Eden Wormfeld for their time this morning. Congratulations on the film. Congratulations on the big scary S word that will be coming out. You said Labor Day, right? So we're looking forward to that. And thank you guys both very much for your time this morning. Congratulations on the film. And I apologize that we're not able to be together in person because there's always, you know, a lot of fun parties in the red carpet and be able to say hello. And it's always good to put a face with a voice and a name and all that kind of stuff. Fingers crossed, maybe next year we can try this again and are on a reset. But thank you very, very much for your time this morning. And um, let's go see the movie. Thank you very so much. much. It was great to be here and I just will say that because we haven't seen the movie with an audience we'd love to hear from you so please reach out to us via our website and tell us how what your experience is like viewing the film we've never seen it in a theater with other people so I I absolutely will and everybody else should go to chasingchildhooddoc.com and you know let let them know Thank you guys very, very much. Congratulations. I can't wait to see this. I've got it in my queue and I will be tuning in uh, first thing on Monday morning. Thank you. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Everybody's a dreamer. Everybody's a star. Everybody's in showbiz. It doesn't matter who you are. There are stars in every city. In every house and on every street And if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard Their names are written in concrete Don't step on Greta Garbo As you walk down the boulevard She looks so weak and fragile That's why she tried to be so hard But they turned her into a princess And they sat her on a throne But she turned her back on stardom Because she wanted to be alone You can see all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard Some that you recognize and that you hardly even heard of And struggled for fame Some who succeeded And some who suffered in vain Rudolph Valentino Looks very much alive And he looks up ladies' dresses As they sadly pass him by But please don't tread on dearest Marilyn She's not very tough She should have been made of iron or steel But she was only made of flesh and blood 
all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard. Some that you recognize and that you hardly even heard of. People who worked and suffered and struggled for fame. Some who succeeded and some who suffered in More than 100 films, from documentaries to features to shorts. Those made in Malta to those made in Maryland. The Annapolis Film Festival has something for everyone. Passes and tickets available now at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. never feel any pain And celluloid heroes never 